Friends, this week I'll continue online with you what Pastor Anna started last week, a little mini-series that we are calling An Invitation to Wisdom and Prayer. Wisdom, of course, uh, she spoke on Proverbs, one of the three wisdom books in the Bible, and then prayer. Today we'll look at the first of many uh, of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, which is really the guidebook for us even today to, to understand and to learn what it means to pray honestly and authentically before God. Last week, Anna aptly noted that we are on the precipice of something new. Not only a foreshadowing of what's to come in the next few weeks as we engage with our little pillar-specific liturgical season of all things new tied together, but also noticing that we're in a season of upended and unique summer rhythms of life ending coming to a close as many of us have felt chased and pursued toward the fall now. Upon us is a new school year, less beach days, new opportunities to engage here with life at Pillar and also probably opportunities to engage in other areas of life in new ways. Lazy cottage days giving way to new routines, to mundane job realities, reprioritization of a lot of things. And as all of this happens around you, I'm curious about something. How's life going for you? Are you happy? I'll be honest, I think about happiness a lot these days, and now in my life there's a new way I work to pursue it. It's all around Thomas, my beautiful 10-month-old baby who has so many years of life ahead of him, who currently has just no idea about the pain and the brokenness of the world in which he's been brought into. And, and quite frankly, I'd like to keep it that way. I don't, I don't want him to know about those things yet. I want him to stay happy because he's just happy. Look at him. Oops, wrong picture. This one. He's happy. Honestly, whenever we don't try to force him into a life jacket, he is just happy. And I'll do whatever it takes to make him happy and to keep him happy because his smile is out of this world and his giggle is infectious. I know I'm not the only one to think along these lines in my life. I know that's true because I see it every day. A news article proclaiming the answer to how to stay happy on social media. I need to read that one. And I know you'll like this one. Old people are happier than people in their 20s. Time magazine has a guide to happiness. All you need to do, I'll I'll give you the cliff notes, is schedule fun activities and shift your perspective and stay present and lower your expectations and savor the great moments. I think we're done here. Everyone seems to know how to be happy. So why do we need so much help knowing how to be happy? 
This morning, I want to look at, as I said, the first psalm of this book of prayers that we've been given. Based on how I've led us to this point this morning, can you take a wild guess? You're in your own living room, dining room tables, I don't know. So just say it out loud. What do you think the first word of this psalm could possibly be? Happy. And I think it's possible, if you wanted to, you could substitute any number of similar adjectives. Content, at peace, joyful, all of those I find are in line with the intent of the Hebrew word that's used and often translated, translated as either happy or blessed. So listen to this. This is Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. And all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Caveat before we begin today. This... What I'm about to say, this is not a self-help sermon. I don't want it to be a self-help sermon. What I need to do in order to be happy. That's reducing the message of the gospel and this psalm. So I want to keep our eyes fixed today on Christ. Eyes fixed on Christ, not on ourselves. As we engage with what I find to be just a practical psalm for our lives. Because I believe we're shown here three characteristics of happy people, and I think it'll change your life. Happy people, according to this psalm, they know who they are. Happy people know who they're not. And happy people are not upended by circumstance. So first, happy people know who they are. We'll circle back to verse 1 soon enough, but I want to dive right into verse 2 just for a moment. The psalmist says, their, happy people, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, they meditate day and night. Happy people know who they are. Now, if you're wondering how I got that from this, just hang tight. It's possible right now that you're thinking, the law? Yes, the law. So many psalms talk about the law, so if we can clarify our, t- our terms a bit together right now, I think it'll be helpful for you in times to come. The word for law, the law here, is Torah. Not only traditionally understood to the Hebrew people as the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but also internalized as God's revelation to his people of his will and his way. Torah 
isn't simply our checklist of whether we got things right or wrong, and if we got it right, well, good, now I can be happy. It's the way in which God has come down and reached toward and touched the hearts and the lives of his people, the shape and the soul of the human. It's grace, all grace. That's what the psalmist thinks, at least. Now, you're not going to want to miss this next part because it's profound. Last week, again, if you tuned in online, Pastor Anna made this claim. Reading the book of Proverbs Christologically changes everything. Reading Proverbs in the light of what and who we know to be true about Christ changes everything. And if I can be so bold, I'd like to borrow those words and apply them this morning as we look at Psalms. When we read, if we read Psalms Christologically, it changes everything. We now, today, have the best and the biggest understanding of what the Torah was intended and always meant to be, trying to get at. Christ Jesus is the word of God made flesh. This word gives us the fullest understanding of the grace made known initially to us by and through the law that you've been given a God who loves you, who comes to you, who died for you, who was raised to life for you, who to this day prays for you. You've been given a God who is a father. What if that were true for you? You've been given a God who is an advocate and a friend. What if that were true for you. Tim Keller appropriately said it this way, the law of the Lord, he says, does not mean the rule, rules. It means the whole message of the Bible as your rule of life. Happy people meditate on the good news of the grace that has redefined existence. They're gods now. They prioritize their time with the word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ because they're upheld and strengthened and everything hinges on this good news. They're children of God, as we sang earlier. They know that. Their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his word they meditate day and night. Happy people know who they are. Happy people know who they're not. That's now, this is now where we back up just a little bit. I just wanted to get to the good stuff first, so thanks for coming along with that. But this is verse one. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. I feel like it's kind of awkward to brazenly speak of the wicked. Do you? That's not really language we use today. It might not be super PC. I don't know. But I like the way theologian James Mays puts it. He says, in all their roles, the wicked represent the incongruence in the human between the will of God and the will of human beings. The incongruence in the human between the will of God and the will of the human. Does that help? I think that it might mean, it's not too 
far of a leap to say that the wicked in our lives might not just be an external reality. Like, it might not just be others around you who are wicked. There might be incongruence in yourself. And I also think the elusive search for happiness will stay just that, will stay elusive if we don't know who we're not. So I wonder where there's incongruence in you between God's will and way for your life and yours, between God's design and hope for your life and yours. We're on the precipice of something new as we enter this fall, this new season, this new school academic calendar. And that means it's a prime opportunity for reprioritization, not only in family life, rhythms, and work, but it's also a prime time to identify and name and demote the things that you are not. The gossip. The road rage. The hiding behind work, social media, a mask, any form of a mask you might wear. The self-medicating with substance or screen. Happy people don't gossip. They don't rage. They don't hide. They don't numb. So search for the incongruence. Call it out. Set new rhythms. Reprioritize. Happy people know who they're not. And happy people are not uprooted by circumstance. Our culture, I think, I find, gives a lot of weight to circumstance when it comes to finding happiness. You heard it before, schedule fun activities, done. So what about when the high of skydiving, vacationing, concert going, party planning, what happens when that wears off. I have yet to experience a fun activity that doesn't wear off. The psalm offers us a vision of lasting happiness, lasting contentment, and it comes to us in a vision, the image of a tree. Listen again to this. Happy people are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season. Their leaves do not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. I think it's worth noting that there's something particularly striking about this image of a tree in the big story of God, including countless other times, but specifically trees show up in the first chapters of Genesis, on the last pages of Revelation, and are the introductory words to the book of song, songs and prayers which shaped the individual and worshiping life of God's people throughout the years. Now, there could be a whole other tree sermon for another time, but I just want to at least notice it with you today. And the psalmist believes that people who know who they are and know who they're not are rooted near the stream. They have a life source that's not of them, that's 
feeding into them and supporting them, and no matter what else is going on, causes them to be able to remain steady. External circumstances may influence, but not demolish that deep source of happiness. Again, call it happy, call it peace, call it contentment, joy. I don't think it matters much. Now, I want to be sure to notice that the leaves don't wither, but the fruit comes and goes in seasons. It says they're They yield their fruit in season, but their leaves do not wither. The psalm isn't intended to be a religious platitude. It's all going to be okay all the time. That's not the gospel. This isn't a sermon about prosperity, health, and wealth, because that's not the gospel at all. We know that there are moments in life that are deeply wounding, that are full of grief, that bring out all the questions and wonderings that we have. The fruit of a flourishing life, well, that's absent. But at the same time, the leaves don't wither. The hope doesn't die completely. The baseline foundation stays intact because the roots are connected to the source. The source that loves us, that died for us, that rose from the dead for us, that prays for us, that is with us. Now, just for fun, recently there's been some buzz about whether or not plants can communicate with people. Have you seen this? Videos of someone standing next to a tree saying very clearly, tree, if you can hear me, touch my shoulder. Now, the video I saw, the tree branch touched her shoulder, but I don't know what to fully think about that. At the same time, have you heard of the Wood Wide Web? And no, I don't have a speech impediment. Maybe I do. The Wood Wide Web. If you don't believe me, look it up. But in the last two decades, new research has come to light that using a network of fungi beneath the surface, trees talk, trade resources, even compete with one another. And it's absolutely insane. So maybe, maybe we can extrapolate the tree image just a little bit further than the psalmist originally intended. Maybe if we are like a tree with roots going beneath the surface to the stream, we are not only connected to a life source that's outside of ourselves in Christ, but also recent science would tell us that we are also a part of a shared, deeply rooted connection with others who know who they are and know who they're not. To a church. To a group of people who carry our burdens when the road is hard and when the fruit isn't blossoming, when the fruit is out of season. I've shared words with you from my friend Christy a lot of times. But I can't help it. I need to do it again. Christy is like that tree, and I want to share a root system with her. I want to connect with her, with my roots. Christy lives in Joss, Nigeria. It's dangerous to be a tree rooted in Christ there. It's hard there. I'd like to share with you a a text I received from her on Wednesday, August 3rd. 
She says, we woke up today with excitement to prepare breakfast for Josiah, one of her sons, to eat and go back to school, not knowing that thieves broke into our home and took away some valuables, especially our cooking gas and the cylinder. God told us to rejoice in him and not in anything else. We are grateful God spared our lives. They could only take material things. Please join us to pray for these thieves to encounter Christ. I was very angry when we discovered we could not cook today. But God reminded me about his faithfulness always. She goes on but continues later saying, Nothing matters in this world but Jesus. Nothing matters in this world but Jesus. Happy people are not uprooted by circumstance. Roots what we're talking about. Finally, I, I, thinking again about Thomas, I shared earlier that my deep desire is that Thomas would be happy, be shielded from the pain and the loss of this world so that he can be happy. But maybe it's not about that. Maybe he'll learn someday that he's already there in Christ. Maybe he'll claim it for himself. Maybe you will too. And maybe, just maybe, this happiness is the byproduct of the life we live, not the goal. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, if we want to be deeply rooted people in Christ, this is the place we come next, to the table, where Christ meets us and said, this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you. Whatever you have with you today, some version of bread and juice, I invite you to take and eat and receive Christ's words. I am for you, in my body, in my blood. Amen. Amen.